I like to cook, and the one thing I've come to learn is that the best way to improve the flavor of any dish is to make sure you're using high-quality ingredients, which is why I love using ButcherBox to get all my meat, poultry, and fish products. They are far and away the best option out there, so if you haven't yet ordered from them, I highly encourage you to give them a try today. Not only do they give you tons of options, you can get any cut you want, and it's always top of the line, but... It's also way more convenient than going to the butcher or grocery store. They always provide free delivery right to your door. They have awesome ribeyes, strip steaks, and steak tips that have all the right marbling. Chicken wings, breasts, and thighs full of flavor, and their fish is all wild caught with no additives. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs. Two pounds of ground beef or one pound of those premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash scarymysteries and use code scarymysteries to choose your free offer and get $20 off. So one more time, because this is key, new users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code SCARYMYSTERIES and get $20 off your first box. Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up that the highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. So if you're looking for more true crime content, go check it out because Proof is an awesome investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling, when they were just 17 years old. And 25 years later, on December 8th of 2022, both men were finally freed, all based on evidence unearthed by Proof. Now in the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling to the streets of Manteca, California to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June 5th of 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Rene's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season and follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, Luke Magnata and Amy Billig. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on a vicious individual from Canada and the mysterious disappearance of a 17-year-old girl. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. 
Number one, Luke Magnata. Killers in general often escalate in their crimes, and in the case of Luke Magnata, a Scarborough Canadian resident, he went from cat killing to murder. Born Eric Kirk Newman, he grew up in a dysfunctional household. According to him, his mother was a neat freak who locked the children outside while she cleaned the house. His father suffered from schizophrenia and eventually divorced from his wife in 1994. In his early 20s, Luke began appearing in pornographic films while working as a stripper and escort on the side. He also attempted to join several reality TV shows as a contestant during this time as well. In 2005, he began getting involved in petty crimes and was convicted on one count of impersonation and three counts of fraud after pretending to be a woman and applying for a credit card. He racked up thousands of dollars in debt and was arrested, serving nine months in jail and 12 months of probation after that. The following year, in 2006, he legally changed his name to Luke Rocco Magnata, and in 2007, he declared bankruptcy. Around this time, rumors of Magnata's relationship with Carla Homelker emerged. Homelka is known as one of Canada's most high-profile serial killers, although police believe the rumors of the relationship may have been planted by Magnata himself. Cops also believe he set up more than 70 Facebook accounts under different names, including 20 websites which he used for phishing and cyberstalking. Around 2010, various videos were uploaded online showing a guy killing and murdering cats. One particular video was titled, One Boy, Two Kittens. A second video featuring kittens getting killed was posted a short while after that. The following year, a third video titled, Python Christmas, showed a young kitten getting killed and eaten by a Burmese python. All of the videos were created and posted by Luke under different aliases. On May 25, 2012, an extremely terrifying and violent 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was uploaded to bestgore.com. The short movie showed a young naked man tied to a bed frame being repeatedly stabbed by another male using an ice pick as well as a kitchen knife. Afterwards, the body is dismembered and the killer goes on to perform necrophilia. At some point, the killer even gets a dog to eat one part of the victim's flesh. Throughout the video, the track True Faith from New Order played on in the background. The video prompted concerned calls, including one from a Montana attorney trying to report the video to police as well as the FBI, but the video was dismissed as a hoax. It wasn't until Canadian authorities got hold of an extended version that they finally decided to take it seriously. They also reported cannibalism may have occurred in it, Oddly, promotions about the movie were circulated about 10 days before the video was actually released. Then, on May 29, 2012, undergraduate international student Lynn June was reported missing by his family and friends. Lynn was working part-time as a convenience store clerk and had been studying in Montreal since 2011. On May 1st, Lynn began living at a Griffintown area apartment with a new roommate. He was last seen by friends on May 24th and at around 9 p.m. that night, his friend said they received a text message from him. His boss also then became worried when he didn't show up for work the following day. Soon, various body parts began showing up at multiple facilities around the country. A package containing a left foot was delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada. Another package containing a left hand was then intercepted at a Canadian Post processing facility. Various other packages containing body parts were then also found. 
One included a torso discovered inside an abandoned suitcase and dumped on a garbage heap. In the same area, police found paperwork, bloody clothes, and various sharp and blunt objects, including an ice pick, screwdriver, and a meat grinder. A suspect was captured in surveillance footage, bringing out suspicious garbage bags. That man in the footage also matched the man in the one lunatic, one ice pick video. It was Luke Magnata. Police then searched through Magnata's rented apartment. It was mostly empty, but blood was found in certain places, including the mattresses, bathtub, table, and refrigerator. By March 30th, the results for the body parts came back, and they all belonged to Lynn June. Magnato was quickly identified as a suspect, but by this time, he had already fled the country. Various other packages with Lynn's body parts would go on to be found in the following weeks. On May 31st, Magnato was officially labeled as a fugitive, and his name was placed on a watch list by Interpol. It turns out, soon after committing the murder, Magnata flew to Paris before traveling to Germany under a fake name. On June 4, 2012, however, he was arrested by German police in Berlin when he was caught inside an internet cafe reading news about his crimes. He initially denied being Magnata, but eventually admitted it was him. Several weeks later, he was extradited to Canada where he faced trial for his crime. Magnata opted to be tried by a judge and jury, claiming no guilt. Essentially, he admitted to the acts, but under diminished responsibility because of various mental disorders he had. In the end, Magnato was found guilty on all charges. He received a mandatory life sentence with eligibility for parole after 25 years. Number 2. Amy Billig It was March 5, 1974. 17-year-old Amy Billig just got home from school and had plans of heading out to meet her friends later in the day. But Amy didn't have any money, so she phoned her dad and asked if she could borrow some from him. He agreed, and Amy left to head to her father's office, but she never arrived there or to meet with her friends. In fact, Amy had completely vanished without a trace. The last time anyone saw her was along the main highway in Coconut Grove, Florida, she was hitchhiking while heading to her dad's office, and this wasn't her first time. In fact, many of her friends say she used to hitchhike around the neighborhood often. Back then, it was a much more usual practice than it's considered today. Soon after Amy's disappearance, police tried searching for her but couldn't find any solid leads. At the same time, Susan Billig, Amy's mom, became proactive in looking for her daughter. A few days after Amy's disappearance, 16-year-old twin brothers Larry and Charles Glasser claimed they kidnapped her and were holding her ransom for the sum of $30,000. But this turned out to be false, and the two were charged with extortion. Susan then began receiving tips her daughter was kidnapped by a member of a motorcycle gang, either the outlaws or the pagans, since both went through the area of Coconut Grove during the time frame in question. The theory about the gang members abducting Amy was reinforced when Paul Branch, a member of the pagans, claimed Amy was at a party thrown by them the night she disappeared and that she died from an overdose while there. Her body was then taken to the Florida Everglades and disposed of. As if to confirm this story, Amy's camera was found at the Wildwood exit right on Florida's turnpike. The film inside contained several exposed shots, but nothing that pointed to a clue regarding her whereabouts. But Branch also said that Amy was being held captive and Susan spent many years chasing leads regarding Amy's supposed location. Mostly, she focused on biker gangs, following tip after tip that Amy was still alive and held captive somewhere. 
Curiously, shortly after her disappearance, Susan and her family began receiving harassing phone calls from a male caller who kept telling them Amy had been abducted by a sex ring. For 21 years, Susan put up with the calls as she and police had no way to find out who this person was. But by 1995, the caller made a mistake and used his cell phone instead of a payphone. This time, the call was traced to a man named Henry Blair, who was working for the U.S. Customs Department. Blair denied knowing Amy and said his alcoholism and OCD made him obsessed with the case. He was then sentenced to two years in prison, and Susan filed and won a lawsuit against him for $5 million. However, with Blair on the scene, police tried to find out if he was indeed telling the truth of having no connection with Amy's disappearance. They discovered Amy's diary, and in it, they found an entry where she contemplated running away to South America with a man named Hank. In addition, one of the photos from Amy's camera contained an image of a white van. Incidentally, Blair owned the same model and color of van in 1974, and his nickname turned out to be Hank. Also, during the time Amy mentioned Hank in the diary, Blair's job in the customs department required him to move to South America. Despite these coincidences, Blair was never linked to Amy positively. However, he remains a person of interest in the case. Despite an extensive search, taking her all across the United States and even to England, Susan never found out what happened to her daughter. In 2001, she co-authored a book called Without a Trace, The Disappearance of Amy Billig, A Mother's Search for Justice, chronicling her search for her daughter. Susan Billig died in 2005 at the age of 80. Today, Amy's case still remains a mystery. So they are two of the most frightening and mysterious stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday that we know you want to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.